using one of the black Bibles that are provided, you'll find today's text on page 293. 293. Psalm 23. We read it for our call to worship. And I would encourage you to keep it open uh, before you. Uh, here at North Hills, as you well know, we've, we do what is called expository preaching. Our effort this morning is to expose this text of Scripture. And by that we mean that we will open it to our understanding, make sure that we understand it clearly, and then apply it to our own lives uh, verse by verse. So Psalm 23 Let's just uh, take a moment to pause and bow before the Lord as we set our eyes on this passage of Scripture. Lord, we love you. We are thankful for the opportunity to come before your word, to be humbled before it this morning, to understand it, and to apply it. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak through your words and that you would change us by it. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. In your mind's eye, you see a hillside. You see dotted across that hill a scattering of white dots that are sheep. You see a shepherd standing not far away, watching over the sheep as they, they graze calmly in this meadow. I think probably for most of us, we've seen many pictures like that. Perhaps you've even seen that that literally in real life, and, and when we imagine this idea of a shepherd and his sheep and, and the watch care that is exercised by a shepherd, this, this is an image that has been repeated over and over again throughout the history of Christianity, going all the way back to the early centuries when, when shepherds were a common thing to see in, in Judea, in that area of the world. And so we have, Christians have kept this image alive because it is so integral to our understanding of our relationship with God. And so for that reason, it is probably safe to say that Psalm 23 is perhaps the best known, or at least one of the best known passages in the entirety of the Old Testament. Within our culture, the, the words would ring true, even if people did not recognize the, the source of them. The Lord is my shepherd. And so this morning, we look at the psalm that we have been singing all throughout the month, and we'll consider for our understanding this morning, Psalm 23, which begins, as we said in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. That is kind of the, the heading that goes above the entirety of the psalm. And so, of course, you know that David, the author of, the human author of this psalm, is celebrating what, what God is like. He rejoices in his goodness and he parallels it to this idea, this relationship of a shepherd and his sheep. David grew up raising sheep. He is rejoicing in this picture that, that he's not the shepherd, but he is, he is like the sheep and, and God is, is the shepherd. And so it is simply a, a, a song of praise to God for who he is. In fact, in fact, David asks for nothing in this psalm. He simply praises God for who he is. Now, often I think when we think of Psalm 23... And when you think about the fact that David was, was used of God to pen these inspired words, we might picture David as a shepherd boy, right? Here he is laying out on the hillside, 
he's strumming his harp, he's watching over the sheep, and, and to his mind comes this, this hymn, this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I will not want. But it's actually more likely that David wrote this psalm later in life, perhaps even during the rebellion of Absalom in 2 Samuel. David is, is likely going through a difficult time in his life when he reflects back to those days when he was a shepherd. And he's reminded that he, he has one who exercises watch care over him. And so although we think of it as, as a, a song of a happy time, a, a calm time, a pleasant time, a time of peace, David is actually reminding himself, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty, that he has one who cares for him. The Lord is my shepherd. And so David is actually dealing with some of the difficult things in life. This is not, not, not just a psalm for the, for the happy days, for the good days, for the, for the times that we are or thinking pleasant thoughts. It's actually a psalm that, that is, is reminding us even in our hardship that we have what we need because God provides for us. Now, in this text, you'll often find me, as we preach through a text of Scripture, often illustrating the principles that are seen in that text of Scripture, especially when we're in the epistles. We'll, we'll use various illustrations to, to unpack the meaning of the text. But, but in this text, really, the text is the illustration. It, it really provides for us the platform which we understand God better because David uses the experience of his own life as a shepherd watching over his sheep and uses that as one extended illustration, one extended metaphor that is Psalm 23. And of course, shepherds and sheep are a good analogy. There's a lot of things that are true about sheep that, that remind us of ourselves. Of course, in the ancient world, the shepherds were responsible to care very carefully for the sheep, and whether they owned them or whether they were they were merely those that were hired to watch over the sheep. They took that job very seriously. They exercised great care. This was not only a significant financial investment. This was their, their livelihood and the thing that they were tasked with. And, and shepherds were known for, for tenderly caring for the sheep and caring for them well. Sheep are a good illustration for us because sheep are defenseless animals. There were so many dangers that would threaten. Sheep were fragile. Sheep were easily stolen away from the flock. They were, they were easily harmed. And when we are feeling vulnerable and prone to harm, it is good for us to remember that it is, it is not because we are mighty, we are strong, we can overcome, but that we have a great shepherd who is strong and mighty and can overcome. Sheep are prone to get lost. They're prone to wander off unexpectedly. They tend to get distracted by things and, and looking for somewhere else, and they wander off from the group sometimes unpredictably, and they have to be brought back. Sheep need almost constant care. They are vulnerable and dumb animals. What a great illustration for you and me, isn't it? It really is. I mean, when we think about ourselves spiritually and we think about our own, our own proneness 
to wander, as the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. When we think about our, our own ineptitude spiritually, our own, our own tendency to not grasp the things that we should grasp and to, and to appreciate the things that we should appreciate, what sheep really seem like a good illustration for us. But we have a shepherd who cares, just like the ancient eastern shepherds knew their sheep individually, so much so that they, they knew them by name, they could call them by name. The shepherds knew the sheep. They knew exactly what they needed. They exercised watch, care, and wisdom over the flock so that the flock would survive. And the sheep recognized their voice. You remember John 10, right? Jesus says, they know my voice. The sheep, the sheep could even intermingle with sheep from other flocks. And the shepherd would go stand on one side, the other shepherd would go stand on the other side, and they would call to their sheep, and the sheep recognized their voice, and they would extract themselves from one another. And this flock that is, was intermingled as one big flock now separated as they each found their way to their shepherd. They, they knew the shepherd, and the shepherd knew them. And so what we learn as we see this illustration in Psalm 23 is that the Lord cares for his own. The Lord cares for his own. In this text, what ways do we see God caring for his own? Well, we see it in several parts here. We see, first of all, the Lord provides all that his people need in verses 1 through 3. We know these words well. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, You'll notice, it, it, perhaps in your Bible, in some translations, Lord, capital L, followed by lowercase o-r-d, appears sometimes. Other times, you'll see Lord in all caps. And that is your translator's way of giving you a little bit of a clue that there are two different words that appear in our English translation as Lord. And, and so what they're cluing you into is that this this word Lord, the underlying Hebrew word, is the proper name for God. This is God's first name, if you will, if you want to think about it in those terms. This is Jehovah, or you may have heard it, Yahweh. Exact same thing. Um, what it has to do with is the way it comes from, from Hebrew into English and the letters that are, that are filled in. So Yahweh, Jehovah, you will often hear me refer to it as Yahweh. Um, but Jehovah, same, same name. It is the proper name of God. It is the first name of God. And so the, the psalmist says in verse 1, Yahweh is my shepherd. That's the heading. That's the, the title of the psalm, really. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And so because of that, we see all of the rest of the things in, in the chapter. So what is the first thing we notice? Well, we notice that the Lord provides all that his people need in verses 1 through 3. He says, I will not want, I do not lack, I shall not want. Of course, the, the word want here, he's not using it in the sense of we have no desires. What he simply means is there's no lack. I don't have any unmet needs 
because Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, specifically, what is he talking about? Of course, in the physical realm, the shepherd was responsible to make sure that the sheep were cared for, that they had sustenance, that they, they had their needs met. So as he goes through this illustration, specifically what needs does the Lord meet? Well, we see in this text that he provides for our spiritual needs. Verse 2, he says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, of course, you don't have to know a lot about sheep to know that sheep need to graze. They need to go to pastures where there is fresh grass so that they can eat. Well, sheep are too dumb to get out a map and get their little GPS devices and figure out where is it I need to go in order to find this sustenance, in order to find this place that I can graze. So the shepherd has the responsibility of saying, well, no, that, that field is pretty well picked over. We're not going to go that direction. We're going to go this direction so that the sheep can lie down in pastures that are, that are filled with that, that tender grass, that soft grass, not the, not the stubble, not the dried out grass, not the the, the, the field that is full of brambles and stickers, but, but that soft grass, you know, the, the grass that looks like a golf course, right? That's what the shepherd is looking for, that which will feed and sustain his sheep. And so David says, as the one who cares for me, Yahweh doesn't allow me to lack for anything I need, and that starts with what I need to feed on. He makes me to lie down in these pastures of, of tender grass. There's so much that we need spiritually, but often the metaphor is used in Scripture. Speaking of itself is that which, uh, that which feeds us. We'll talk about feeding on God's Word or feasting on God's Word. When we come over in the New Testament, we see the same imagery of milk and meat. That which we eat, that which we we uh, partake of in order to meet our spiritual needs. And if we are to grow, if we are to thrive spiritually, we must feast on God's Word. God provides for us the revelation of Himself. You and I have no way of really knowing about God. I mean, we can look at the creation around us. We can recognize certain things about God. He's, he's magnificent. He's great. He's powerful. He, he's big. But we really don't know any details about how to have a relationship with him and to grow in that relationship with him. Sometimes some, will be, some who take the Bible seriously will be accused of bibliolatry, right? the worship of the Bible. Well, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But the reality is that the only way we can know how to properly worship Him, to be in right relationship with Him, is as He reveals Himself to us. And so God in His grace and His mercy has given us the thing that we need to feed on, the truth about Himself. He feeds us with His very Word. And so the, the psalmist says elsewhere, I, I found your words and I did eat them. Right? That's that same image, that we feast on God's Word, we nourish ourselves, we stay strong, we grow, because God has revealed Himself to us. God gives us what we need for our spiritual nourishment. 
Sometimes the shepherd would feed his sheep and he would go to a stream, but, but sheep are easily spooked. Rapidly moving water doesn't do well for sheep. They're, they're scared by that. They, they, they don't want to get pulled into the current. And so, so the shepherd would find the, the calm spot in the stream. And in fact, sometimes he would take rocks and he would, he would make a, a temporary dam that would, that would hold back the water so that there would be a little pool there for the sheep to be able to drink and refresh themselves. This is exactly what we see in verse 2, right? He leads me beside the still waters, literally waters of rest, waters of peace. Now, the word lead here means to, to lead gently. So, so, so God is, for this, the image of the shepherd, he's, he's leading gently, he's tenderly leading the sheep to a calm spot in the stream where they can refresh themselves with these waters of rest. Likewise, our spiritual shepherd does for us. He provides us spiritual refreshment. God's people often find themselves in need of this kind of refreshment because we walk in a wearying, exhausting world that bombards us spiritually. Even sometimes fellow sheep can be a little wearying, right? And our shepherd provides for us this refreshment that we need. He provides for us that, that nourishment of our soul that provides us the strength and the help and the, and the ability to move forward as we grow, even in the midst of a world that bombards us with discouraging difficulties. We see then in verse 3 that the Lord provides for our spiritual growth. So we're, we're, we're learning here in this set of verses, in this first section, that He provides all that we need. He's provided our, our spiritual needs. He's provided for our spiritual uh, uh, growth. And then verse 3, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. And so for just a moment, the, the image is set aside and, and we see a peek behind the curtain of what David is really ultimately illustrating, the spiritual help that God gives to us because He restores our soul. We said earlier that sheep stray. They wander off. Well, so do followers of Jesus, right? We, we wander off. But His kind shepherding provides even for that. You see, a straying sheep is still a sheep. And the Lord who cares for His own provides a way of restoring us, making us right again. I mean, think about David. David who definitely strayed from God, who sinned grievously even at one point in his life. But he could not stray beyond the arm of grace. He could not stray beyond the reach of the shepherd, the shepherd who would restore him, who would who would go out and seek him and bring him back. I wonder, do you, ever, do you ever find yourself weighed down by this life? Do you ever find yourself discouraged? He restores our soul. 
I wonder, do you have a, a struggle with a particular sin that, that haunts you and weighs you down and, and keeps coming back? And about the time you think that you, you have that defeated, you get discouraged because it's still there. It's still pressuring me. It's still weighing on me. I'm still tempted by that thing. Do you ever get discouraged by the fact that you fell again? You wandered away from God again. Encouragement of this psalm is that he restores, that he makes right again, that he brings back into the fold. How is that done? Well, well, God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. The, the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, ha- has not only, not only provides for his sheep, but he has laid down his very life for the sheep, as Jesus would say in the New Testament. And because of that, he can restore our soul through repentance. When we recognize our own strain, when we recognize our own sin, our wandering from Him, the need to be restored, we come to Him in repentance, trusting in His finished work, and we are restored. Now, let me say a bit about that. Understand that our, our ongoing repentance as believers is predicated on, it is built on, the reality of the gospel by which we are saved. You see, we are all born in a state of separation from God because of this thing called sin. All of us are guilty before God. And so because of that, we deserve separation from God, not just in this life, but but for all eternity in the life to come. That's what you and I deserve because of our sin. But Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the, the good shepherd laid down his life. He provided the sacrifice that that we could not provide. He laid down his life. He died on a cross. He was buried. And he rose again the third day. And when he rose again, he indicated that he has the power to offer forgiveness of sin to all who will come to him in faith and repentance. This is that that restoration that takes place when, when one comes to him in faith and repentance. He is made right with God through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning, have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time when you have recognized your own inadequacy? You can't earn your way to God. You can't do religious works that will put you in right relationship with God. Have you ever realized that? And have you ever, in realizing that, turned from your own way, your own sin, your own self-dependence, to depend completely on Jesus Christ alone? you've never done that, today can be the day that you are made right with God, you are restored. Any of us who are members of North Hills would be happy to sit down with you and take a Bible and answer any questions about how you can know your eternity is sure that you've been made and put in right relationship with God. But many of you here this morning have done that. You have come to Him in faith and repentance. You've, you've repented of your sin. You're dependent on Jesus Christ alone. So when we talk about that, we're talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I said a moment ago, our ongoing repentance as believers is built upon the reality of the gospel. That because He can put us in right relationship with God, that He continually restores our soul. And as we maintain that relationship through faith, and repentance, we are living the gospel out every day. And so there's really a lot packed in this little phrase that he restores my soul. I can have right relationship with him. I can be made right with God, not just to made to feel better about my sin, 
That's the answer of the world. Oh, it's okay. You're not so bad, right? Everybody does it. Well, we're all weak. That's the world's answer. God's answer is actual restoration of our soul, making us right again, taking the fabric that is torn and reweaving it, making us right, restoring our soul through repentance. And so this morning, do you come to him for his restorative help? When you recognize your own sin, your own shortcomings, your own wanderings from him, do you and I run away from that? Do we shy away from that? Do we, do we not want to think about that? Or do we recognize that this good shepherd stands with open arms, ready to restore our soul. When we think about God who provides for our spiritual needs, we recognize that that He gives us what we need to sustain us, to make us grow. He, He gives us the food, the nourishment, the refreshment that we need, but He also restores our soul. I think of 2 Timothy that tells us that Scripture is given by inspiration. God is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching us what's right. For reproof. That's showing us what's wrong. For, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. That's making it right. This is, that, this is that idea of restoring us, making us right, restoring our soul. And then the last phrase there in 1 Timothy is for instruction in righteousness. That's that ongoing keeping it right, which is really what the psalmist talks about next, right? He says, he leads me in the paths. Okay, that's the word ruts, right? You, you, you go through you know, go through the woods and it's all overgrown and, and there's, there's leaves on the ground and there's weeds and everything. And then you, you come to this spot where there's this, this rut. Right? You see the, the bare dirt, and it's worn down. And you're like, oh, uh, this people have been back and forth this way a lot of times. Okay, that's the word that is used here. There are these, these well-worn paths, these ruts, where the, 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 uh, the brambles have been pushed back away, and there's this well-worn path. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And so not only does God give us what we need, he, he provides that food and that water for us so that we can grow spiritually. He, he also restores us when we wander off the path. He brings us back the path, but then he also provides for us that ongoing path of righteousness. Christians will beat themselves to no end with this question of finding God's will, whatever in the world that means. All right? I got to find God's will. Like it's this some hidden mystery. What a consolation that God shepherds us in the paths of righteousness. He has promised to lead his people, to guide them. So the same way in which he he feeds them, in, in which he corrects them, he also leads them, instruction in righteousness or as the psalmist says, leading us in the path of righteousness. So my friend, it's not just important to study God's word because you need it to sustain you spiritually. 
It's important also to study and to, to learn God's word because it, it corrects you when you get off the path. But you say, you say well, I, I've, I've gotten everything right with God. I'm, I'm restored. I'm, there's, no, there's no known sin. And so I'm good. No, what we need is that instruction that will continue to guide us along the paths, lead us in the paths of righteousness. Now, why does God do all this? Why does God lead us in the paths of his righteousness? Well, he does it, notice the next phrase, for his name's sake. That's the idea of in keeping with his character. You understand that in the Bible, God's name reminds us of his character. And so it's interesting to me, and perhaps as you consider it with me, you'll see some of this parallel. It's kind of step step away and look at the picture, the big picture here of Psalm 23, because there's this interesting um, uh, parallel that exists here. Perhaps at some point in your Christian walk, you've done a study of the names of God, and you've seen how the names of God reveal his character. So David says here, he does all of this for the sake of his character, for the sake of who he is, or, or the phraseology is for his name's sake. Well, watch how his name, the character of who he is, shows up throughout this psalm. You see it in verse 1. I will not want, I shall not want, I shall not lack, I have everything I need. This is the name Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, provides. The Lord will provide. And so, I don't lack. I do not want. We see in verse 2, he leads us beside still waters or, or peaceful waters or waters of rest. This reminds us of the name of God, Yahweh Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He's a God of peace. He, he provides our peace. He leads us beside still waters. We saw in verse 3, He restores my soul. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. He makes right what is broken. He restores us. He heals us. And then later in verse 3, we see the phrase, He leads us in the paths of righteousness, which we just looked at. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. The Lord provides not just an example of righteousness, but He is our righteousness which we lack. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. We see the, the title, the name Jehovah Shema illustrated in the last part of verse 4. He says, you are with me which is exactly what Jehovah Shema means. The Lord is there. He is with me. In verse 5, we see that he does all of this in the presence of my enemies, right before my enemies. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord, our banner. He is that, that flag that waves over us. He is that banner that, that we stand under. He is that protection for us, the symbol of his might. He provides for us even in the presence of our enemies. We see Jehovah Nisi illustrated in verse 5. In the verse 6, in the last part, he anoints my head 
with oil. You'll see in Scripture, and we'll get to this when we get down to verse 6, but that, that this anointing is the idea of that special setting apart, which is the idea of sanctify, the Lord who sanctifies, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies me, who sets me apart. So it's interesting, when you, when you work your way through that psalm and you're thinking about the names of God, which reveal His character, which reveal who He is, that God does all of this not because we're really good sheep, right? Because we're worth it. it. He does all of this, He provides for all of this because of who He is, because He is the Good Shepherd. I see many of you jotting that down. And uh, I'll, give, I'll leave it up there for just a minute. In fact, I'll just leave it up there so you can copy it down if you want or if you want to um, get, that, get that later. It's beautiful to see God shepherding for his own name's sake. When we think about the blessings that God provides for us, we're sometimes tempted to think about how worthy we are of those blessings. But, but the psalmist says he does all of this. He provides for us. He, he, he leads us back to the path of righteousness for his name's sake, because of who he is. And so we see here that the shepherd provides all that the sheep need for their physical survival and flourishing. Likewise, the good shepherd provides all we need for our spiritual well-being. I don't have it up on the screen, but listen as I read, please, from Second Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, which by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I read verse 3 again. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who's called us by glory and virtue. Now think about that for a moment. What does it mean? We think about that verse in the New Testament. We think about what David says here in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack what does it mean for us to say, I shall not want? I don't lack anything that I need. And then for Peter to say, his divine power has given us everything that we need to pertain to life and godliness. We have all we need in Christ. See, the world bombards us with the notion that we need something else to live godly, to live virtuously. There's, there's something else pertaining to life and godliness that we need. We need secular psychology. We need a particular relationship in our life. We need a certain political environment. Uh, we must have a certain amount of, of wealth or provision. We must have safety and security. We, we have to have all of those things really to, to be a flourishing Christian. Well, 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 that person over there, well, yeah, they they can be a good Christian because they've got this or that provided for them. The, the reality is that we have everything we need in Christ. In fact, many, quote-unquote, Christian marriage books, I mean, just 
walk into your average Christian bookstore and just pick up a book at random on the topic of marriage. And a lot of these supposed Christian marriage books are really predicated on the needs philosophy. The idea is this, that, that if he meets her psychological needs and, and she meets his needs, then, then it will be a happy marriage. Because, because we can't progress to a, a, a better relationship until our more basic needs are met. Now, where does this come from? Well, it actually traces its roots back to a man named Charles Maslow, who developed a concept called the hierarchy of needs. And I've actually mentioned it before because although you may not have ever heard of Maslow and Maslow's hierarchy of needs before, it actually weaves its way into so much of American thinking. So, so the idea is that we have, we have basic physiological needs, and once those are met, then, then we can move on to our greater needs. We have like safety needs, safety and security needs, and, and those needs have to be met, and then we move on to kind of a, a higher level of needs. And of course, Maslow dumped everything, desires and needs, dumped them all into this big bucket and called them needs. And then we go, you know, we move on to this idea of, of belonging, our sense of, of love and, and companionship, and then we move on to self-esteem and self-actualization. And the idea is that when our, when our lower needs are met, that is when we're able to progress, when we're able to, to move forward. In, in Christian terminology, we might say grow spiritually. And so, so these, these, this secular... Um, uh, philosophy has kind of woven its way into some Christian thinking. We've given it kind of this veneer of Christian, Christian uh, phraseology, and, and now we think we need certain things to grow spiritually when my needs are met. Well, the scriptural truth is that we need Christ, and Christ provides for us all that we need. We need nothing but Him and what He provides for us. So to put it back in the terms of a Christian marriage, no, you don't have to have a wife who is functioning biblically to be a biblical husband. So you just lost your excuse biblically, guys. I mean, right? Christ loved his bride, even though, yeah, she's not always what she should be. And so, I mean, you could take this, you can take this into a, a dozen different applications, but what we need to be reminded of here from this psalm is the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need in Christ to be what I should be. Now, let's just clarify here, okay, because you're probably starting to think some questions in the back of your head, right? There are means of grace in our lives. In fact, some of those means of grace are scripturally indispensable, right? His word, for example. His church. Prayer. But those are needs only in a secondary sense because they are conduits through which Christ pours his grace into our lives. There are other means of grace that God gives to us in his mercy. And your spouse, for example, may be a means of grace. Your other Christian relationships 
even the good gifts that God gives you may be sources of joy that cause you thanksgiving, but you don't need them to please God. So, as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, okay, what are things that we are tempted to think are needs? We have to have this to really live godly. Well, our speaker last week actually alluded to one of those, right? We tend to think, we're, we're obsessed as Americans with safety and security, right? We think that we have to be, we have to be safe. We have to have physical well-being, uh, you know, no persecution, freedom. We actually don't. I mean, some Christians, like, lose their mind if they think the, long, the wrong person is going to get in office. Like, like, God's church won't continue to exist if so-and-so gets elected. I got news for you. God's church has existed a long time before that dude was born, and, he's gonna continue, and it's going to continue to move forward. We don't have to have, we, we love it, we cherish it, we're thankful for it, but we don't have to have freedom. We don't have to be free from persecution. We don't have to have physical well-being. Do we want it? Absolutely. Do we want to be healthy? Do we want to be free of pain? Absolutely. Are we thankful for that when we have that as a good gift of God? Certainly. But do you realize that you don't have to be pain-free? You don't have to be healthy to be a good Christian, to live for God, to, to lean on His grace. I've alluded several times to human relationships. You know, we, we tend to think, I, I need so-and-so to act such and such a way so that I can. Right? And the way we do that is, is we make other people our excuse for acting unbiblically, for acting sinfully. Well, well, I act that way because she does this. I, I, I'm like that because my parents, right? That's what we do. And the reality is we are thankful when God blesses us with beautiful, healthy, quality human relationships. But we don't have to have those because Yahweh is my shepherd. I don't lack for anything I need. So this morning as we search our own hearts, let's ask ourselves this question. What blessing, what physical blessing, what person, what resource could you not lose? All right? If I didn't have this I just couldn't go on. I, I couldn't live for God. Or, or maybe, maybe, ask it, maybe think about it this way. The thing that I want more than anything else is. I get, I get anxious. I get worried. I get panicky when I don't have The thing that keeps me awake at night is blank. We could go on and on, and perhaps the Holy Spirit has brought to your own mind things that we are tempted to think we need. 
that we, we need something else to live life. We need something else to live a life pleasing to God. But when we think about the fact that the Lord is our shepherd, we're reminded that we lack nothing. We have everything we need. Now, if you, if you turn that equation around and you think about it from a, from a different vantage point, sometimes there's things that we think that we need that we don't have. And, and if the Lord is our shepherd and I don't have it, that means, are you with me? If I don't have it and he gives me all I need, then that means I don't need it. Now, now that's, that's a rebuke to me, right? Because there's a lot of things that I think I know better than God. No, God, really, I, I really do need that. You just haven't figured it out yet, right? Like, I, I really do. No. The Lord is our shepherd. He, he makes sure that we have everything that we need. And yes, there are blessings that we desire for. There are things that we pray for and we, we, we can ask God for. But, but in the end analysis, this is really boils down to contentment, right? It really boils down to us living out the theological reality that is taught in this passage and so many other passages that the Lord cares for his own. And first and foremost, that means the Lord provides all his people need. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack. I have all I need. Well, there's a lot in this psalm, and so we're going to finish it next week. But as you meditate this week, consider this reality. What does it mean for God to be my shepherd? For me to not lack anything that I need. The Lord cares for his own. He provides all that his people need. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for the reminders of it. Thank you that you are our shepherd, the good shepherd who watches over his sheep. And Lord, as we meditate on this truth this morning, may we be reminded and even rebuked to trust in you to provide for us.